Hi there, everyone. Coming up on the AXA Legislative Lunch Break, Edgar and I will have all of your latest news and information from the state capitol and CDE on what has already been a very, very busy news week. Plus, we're going to take you inside of a legislative hearing yesterday inside the state capitol that talked about attendance loss and chronic absenteeism. We'll have a full report on that. The AXA Legislative Lunch Break starts now. And so happy to have you with us here on a Wednesday. It's the AXA Legislative Lunch Break, along with Edgar Zaswata, AXA Senior Director of Policy and Governmental Relations. I'm Naj Alakan, AXA Senior Director of Marketing and Communications. So happy to have you back with us on a Wednesday after a Thanksgiving week off. Go ahead and jump into our chat. Say hello and let us know where you're watching from today. Edgar, how are you? How was your uh, Thanksgiving break? It was good. It was good to, you know, I missed everybody for, for a week, right? But it was it was good to... Uh to do some reflection, eat some food, just take a step back. Uh, so yeah, it was a good week off. I will note one thing, Naj, I saw it, and I know we've been talking about it, we joke about it ourselves, but we're gonna give them a hard time. I saw one of our guests laughing at our intro right now. I, I Wait saw a minute. backstage. So we're, we're definitely gonna have to give them a hard time. <laughs> that okay. among other reasons, so uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We, Just, you know, uh, hey, I, I still like it. I, 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 you know, we have to, we have to bring our A game with the intro like that. But absolutely, it's absolutely. a good challenge, right? I, I, for for you and I, it is an absolute challenge. I uh, want to say hello to Maria Thompson, who was our first on the uh, on the chat today. Kyla Griffin, uh, Heather James, Angela Shell on with us as well. Stephen Burrell, so good to have you guys on the show again. Go ahead and jump on uh, to our chat. Say hello. Um, we have a packed show for you today. We're going to hit your news headlines first because there are a lot of them. And then we're going to move into our deeper discussion on this legislative hearing that took place yesterday inside the state capitol about chronic absenteeism. But uh, Edgar, let's go ahead and let's touch on a little bit of news. Uh, Governor Newsom is just wrapping up a news conference that he was doing um, in Merced County today. He was there along with Steve Tejan, the um, Merced County Superintendents of Schools, talking about promoting vaccinations, and booster shots. Um, There are two pieces of information that I want to get to and then have you talk about. Um, First, he addressed statistical information. Uh, He said from this time last year, so one year ago compared to now, positivity rates are up 3% here in the state of California. So something to very much consider. That includes the news of the first Omicron case in the United States. It is here in the state of California. Um, So certainly a lot of news coming out of the governor's news conference, which just wrapped up. Uh, Edgar, your thoughts, you and I both watched it, um, of what the governor had to say. Yeah, as one of our coworkers stated, the governor was definitely fiery today, you know, and I I think it was almost a reflection of, of, you know, I think it's fair to say maybe some impatience in terms of what's happening in the state as he's having to beat this message uh, about the value of vaccinations and and now with the recent news about the new Omicron uh, case, it's going to take a while. Uh, you know, and it, it took me a week to remember Omicron. We're not talking about a transformer. It's <laughs> exactly. a Greek. It's a letter of the Greek alphabet there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that is, it was a matter of time. I think they, the, the public health officials warned us it was a matter of when, not if, 
that one of the new uh, variant the cases of the new variant were going to be detected in California. And that, that's obviously one of the headlines, uh, similar to the original uh, COVID cases that they, they sprouted up here in our state. And so I think like everybody's been asking the question and they, the governor and Dr. Galley were, were asked the question, okay, what now does this mean? Is the, is the state going to step up its efforts in terms of quote unquote lockdowns or more restrictions? And then I think the message was, no, the state's going to stay the course uh, that we have to wait and see what happens with all this. Now, with that said, I think doubling down on this message of trying to get people vaccinated, trying to get convince people to go get their uh, COVID boosters. Uh, they they actually did this uh, at a school site uh, this morning. So trying to underscore also the value of trying to get some of those younger Californians vaccinated was also a focus of the message. Yeah. Um, let me move to this one um, from Sac City Unified. Now, um, uh, Sac City Unified had approved uh, a vaccine mandate for students 12 years and older uh, and staff in mid-October. And the um, the date for that, um, by November 30th, which was yesterday, uh, all eligible students and staff have to show proof of their first or second dose of the coronavirus vaccine. Um between November 30th and January 31, the district was going to reach out. And then by February 1, all eligible non-exempt students who are not vaccinated will be assigned to the district's uh, independent study program. All right. So I've mentioned that because the statistics came in. I went and looked at the school district's um, updated information. Uh, it says of the 1940, uh, 484 students that are 12 years and older that are eligible for the COVID-19 vaccination, 72.39% um, are not vaccinated. These are the students uh, are not vaccinated and have not reported their status as of that deadline yesterday. Um, Edgar, I, I would love to get your feedback on this because uh, you know uh, parents, uh, students that attend Sac City Unified uh, and, and this Number certainly shot out uh, this morning when you and I met um, as a, I, I don't want to overemphasize and say startling, but it was at least a surprising number when I first saw it this morning. Yeah, as I and in full disclosure, I'm a Sac City uh, parent of, of two kids. And I think here's some of the challenges. And I think what the district is doing, if I'm not mistaken, some of those numbers are are, are folks that have returned the form, the electronic form, and said that their kid is either vaccinated or not vaccinated. I yep. think the bigger issue that folks are having also is just the response rate, is the yep. response rate of getting parents to actually do the form. And I know that we're talking about Sac City as a case study, just because they're one of the ones who had a deadline here today. But I think this is something that we're seeing in other districts around the state. Those that have put in requirements or even are just trying to better verify status it's no easy task from an administrative level, getting folks uh, to actually return the forms, to respond. Uh, there's, as we know, depending on the communities that we may serve, there could be technology issues, even with folks that have the most resources. I will admit, I took me till the day before the deadline to return <laughs> the form for one of my uh, kids, right? And I, I made the deadline, though. I made the deadline. Good, good. But, but I think this these are some real issues in terms of with families, especially at this difficult time with so much on their plate, like how can we get them to one respond? So that's one issue. And then the secondary issue obviously is trying to get more folks 
to get vaccinated. As we know, yeah. as we've been having this conversation on this show for couple of years now, it feels like yeah. uh, th this is a very, very sensitive issue. And especially as we've gone and authorized vaccines for younger and younger students, I think those feelings, I, I venture to say, have become stronger, especially yeah. as we're talking about vaccinating younger kids. Yeah. Um, and, and I want to point out, so uh, Sac City Unified, uh, so far, the only district that's in this region, the Sacramento region, uh, to enact a mandate ahead of the state's requirements, which is aimed at beginning uh, in mid-2022. Um, if your district out there and any of our viewers are, are experiencing uh, anything similar, if your district has put in some early mandates ahead of the uh, the state, go ahead and jump into our chat. We'd love to um, hear uh, about that. One other news uh, piece and this is the piece that prevented Edgar and I from um, from getting our vacation started, our Thanksgiving vacation. That was the um, the CDPH update on school based extracurricular activities. I have the sheet here. Um, it's extensive. So, Edgar, do you mind uh, giving just some of the highlights that have come out of that? Yeah, the big piece, and we make we we were giving the state officials a hard time. They seem to not know how to put out information, you know, during regular business hours. Or I mean, literally, this came out I think late in the day on Wednesday before yeah. Thanksgiving, right? And this wasn't—I don't think this was something they were trying to hide. Uh, but there were some uh, modifications made to the CDPH guidance, and it was something that we were hearing a lot about from our members uh, in other sectors, specifically as it relates to face coverings. And um, in sports, in indoor sports, uh, as, as folks may remember that there was a very clear line before that said, nope, you need to wear face coverings, all indoor sports, really no exceptions. Uh, the state has softened that a little bit by one clearly, and this hasn't always been the case. They made very clear that these are recommendations. All oh, that the CDPH guidance, when it relates to this, is recommendations. That they're not. It's not a requirement. It's not a mandate. But what they're saying is that they're still strongly recommending that indoor sports, CIF, otherwise, still wear face coverings inside. But if you can't, so if it poses a danger, if it's an issue, we've heard a lot about the the concerns about trying to make kids playing basketball wear face coverings yeah. so the state essentially gave a little bit of an out by saying that if you're not going to wear them uh during indoor sport that it's strongly recommended that you do weekly surveillance testing uh as another mitigation factor but it was something that i know a lot of our members were calling for is there some leeway here in terms of sports like basketball basketball seemed to be the the example that would come up That's all the time right. yeah. uh about giving some leeway for folks to to utilize other options when it came to sport, uh, to face covering. So that, that may have got lost in the shuffle there because it happened right before Thanksgiving. Uh, and we can, we'll, we'll find the link there and, uh, and put it in the chat. Yeah, I saw that. Um, Sarah, thank you for, um, for mentioning that. We'll go ahead and we'll get you um, the link to it. Um, before we move over to our, um, to our big headline today, just want to, um, uh, put this in front of you. So Edgar and I are doing our final show of the year in two weeks. I believe that would be the 15th. We would love for our audience to participate. You know, Edgar and I are going to be in our best holiday attire for that December 15th show. We would love to have some photos of all of you in some of your holiday gear. So go ahead, get a photo in your ugly Christmas sweater 
or your ugly Christmas blazer or with your Santa tie, whatever it is, go ahead and get a picture for us. Send that, I believe it's to AXA group at AXA.com. I'm sorry, .org. Um, Tracy will go ahead and put that into the uh, chat for you. Uh, again, AXA group at AXA.org. Um, all right, so let's move to our uh, main topic today. Uh, lawmakers yesterday had a legislative hearing um, on chronic school absenteeism, talking about attendance loss. Um, and, and we have two guests today that were watching, were participating in that legislative hearing. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring them on. Megan Baer is our AXA legislative advocate. Yvonne Carrillo, who's been um, on this show many times, legislative advocate over at Capital Advisors. Megan and Yvonne, it is so good to have you guys uh, on the show. I have this suspicion, Edgar, that Yvonne was the one who was giving us a hard time behind the scenes with that intro. Uh, Yvonne, am I correct with that? There was laughter, but it was, it was, I wasn't very much impressed by it. It, it was, it wasn't meant to be taken by negative. And certainly I'm thinking of other shows that have introductions, uh, 60 Minutes being one of them. Your, yours oh, yours wow, is wow. far better. <laughs> he's he's giving us a hard time. Don't, he, he, yes. Don't, you would think he'd be a little nicer than just the fact that we let him back on here. Onto the yeah, show, exactly. Right? He's no longer a member of staff. So we can. So don't worry, Yvonne. We got all kinds of stuff to give you a hard time about. Um, let's go ahead and start. Um, you know, on this show, um, and, and Megan, I'll have you respond first and then Yvonne after that. Um, on this show, just about every meeting that I know the four of us are in, we hear so much about attendance loss chronic absenteeism, declines in ADA, um, often brought up. Uh, we know the legislature discussed this issue publicly yesterday. Uh, start off by setting the context for us, Megan, if you can, about what exactly took place yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. So yesterday, the Assembly um, Education Policy Committee and their budget committee held a joint hearing and it was focused on learning recovery, absenteeism, and enrollment declines, all of the topics that, frankly, we're talking to our members about every day across the state. Um, they had a number of districts, um, both San Diego Unified and Oakland uh, Unified, several county offices of education, superintendent of public instruction, and the collaborative all participated and talked about the, you know, varying challenges that are the field are facing um, when it comes to these issues. And and some threw out some ideas for uh, strategies to combat them. And, and Yvonne, we're looking at video yesterday. Uh, there's a state superintendent, uh, Tony Thurman, in there, um, a number of others testifying. Uh, you heard uh, Megan's breakdown of this legislative hearing. Uh, Yvonne, anything that you would add to that? Yeah, it, uh, a few things really stood out to me. One was the tone of the conversation, uh, the, the state assembly being one of the three parties that we negotiate with and who set the the budgetary and policy direction for the state. Uh, it, it's been a little contentious, to say the least, over the last couple of years between uh, the education management, just education broadly and the assembly. And um, I was really encouraged. I felt like there was some genuine um, recognition of all the sacrifice and work that's being put in by school leaders and, and school staff statewide to, to serve students. Um, so I, I appreciated that that was touched on throughout, um, but also a recognition of the difficulty and the challenges of, of serving right now and everything that's being asked of, of school leaders. Um, the word that I think got used the most 
uh, during yesterday's hearing was opportunity. Uh, everybody just kept hitting on that over and over and over. And that very much tied back to um, what we're anticipating in terms of, of budget revenues uh, and, and Prop 98 uh, dollars specifically to, to invest in, in key areas. So the legislative analyst's office has estimated that that's going to be upwards of $20 billion. And that's after funding COLA. That's after funding some of the programs that were put into place uh, last year. So certainly there, there is opportunity. Uh, just one last thing that, that stood out to me in terms of the data uh, that was being put forth as it relates to um, ADA loss and chronic absenteeism is all the data, and this, this I'm certain will be no surprise to, to our members, but all the data suggested that the, uh, the biggest portion of, of enrollment dips, ADA losses in the earliest grades where there's not compulsory education. Um, and then not surprisingly as well as the disproportionate impacts that this pandemic is having on communities of color, students of color, um, homeless and foster youth. And so there's very much a sensitivity um, and a focus on re-engaging unduplicated count students and making sure that they're being they're identified and that they're being served well. Um, so uh, that certainly will be the lens that the legislature is, is looking through as it's making its decisions around budget and policies. Hey, Naj, I promise that 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 video doesn't do it justice. The, the hearing was much more exciting than the empty uh, uh, hearing room uh, depicts, or or maybe not. But you know, it depends people's preferences there. I, uh, I I would say this, like I said right when I saw that video, it was like standing room only over in that legislative <laughs> hearing. Boy, it was it was a packed house for sure. Uh, Yvonne, you noted, um, and I think rightly so, that this was one house. You know, one 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 sector of the three branches of government, right? And I, I think both you and Megan pointed out that it was just a preliminary preliminary discussion. There was no action. It was an informational hearing. With that said, anytime we get the legislature, the governor, any of the policymakers on the record, we try to read between the lines, right? Where is it that they're thinking, especially as we're entering into budget season? So, kind of in that note. What you know? What what are some expectations? Not just on what we heard yesterday, but just kind of what the word on the street is on what we might expect next year. What proposals are they thinking about? And then the question: I don't think there's a week where not somebody asked, "Are they going to extend the hold harmless?" Right? And I know that was a, a something that that got brought up a lot yesterday. Uh, so we'll start with Yvonne, but I'd love to hear Megan's thoughts on that as well. Yeah. So it it it's it's certainly early in this in this process and. Certainly, members of the legislature oftentimes hold their cards close to the vest. But a few things that we that we certainly can expect there's historic revenues, and that there's going to be significant dollars available to um, state policymakers and the governor to be able to direct in, in a certain fashion. And so, again, the LAO estimates that it's upwards of twenty billion dollars, um, and and we can expect that that number is probably going to come down some, given that the governor and legislature oftentimes use uh, more conservative numbers. But but needless to say, there's going to be significant dollars uh, available. Uh, we can expect that the majority of that is going to be one time, e even that that could be keyed as ongoing, uh, just for them to be more on the fiscal conservative side. Um, we know that there's going to be a, a, a really high COLA attributed to LCFF. And so 5.35% is what it's being estimated to be. So it'd be somewhere in that ballpark. And that's the highest it's been in 15 years. 
And one other thing that I think we know at this point is that the legislature is committed uh, to the programs that it initiated last year. Um, so expanded learning opportunities and, and, and before and after school programs, um, universal transitional kindergarten, that, that the legislature is not going to move away from these programs. If anything, they're going to double down on them in, in terms of their investments. If anything, they may they may expedite the implementation period and, and the allocation of funding that goes out. Um, so that certainly puts more onus and responsibility on the field to then implement and act on, on those decisions if that were to be the case. Um, but in terms of, of, of other opportunities, uh, um, I'll touch on certainly pension relief has come up. It didn't come up in yesterday's hearing, but it has come up in, in other conversations. Um, pension re relief that was provided a couple of years ago is set to expire um, for CalPERS and CalSTRS. And so there is some interest in, in acting on that front. Um, LCFF base increases has, has come up, came up a lot yesterday. Um, so those are a couple of other areas. And, and your last question, Edgar, related to ADA, hold harmless. I think it's, it's reading the tea leaves, I think it's unlikely that there is an extension of the hold harmless uh, as currently is, is, is in place. Um, there's been a lot of um, just negative reaction to an extension uh, by, across the street. Uh, but there is some interest and in, in a lot of conversation happening around how to soften that ADA blow um, for those who are experiencing loss. And so one of the uh, ideas that's being floated around and being talked about a lot and by, by members of the legislature is using a three-year rolling average for ADA. Um, again, this, this still districts experiencing ADA loss still would 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 see some decline, but there would be a softening, there'd be less volatility, a more predictability, um, but also that there would be, in addition, a, a ability to acknowledge those districts who are experiencing growth as well and funding the, 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 the ADA growth that some districts are experiencing. Um, folks, if you have questions for uh, Megan or Yvonne, go ahead and jump uh, onto our chat. Uh, into our comment section. Uh, go ahead and drop those in there. Edgar, I want to point out to you uh, just really quickly, uh, Gail Olson uh, from Region 18, uh, again, watching the show from Cabo San Lucas. A am, am, I, am I wrong or does it seem like Gail Olson is on like the longest ever vacation, beach vacation? I swear it's like a month that she's been gone. Gail is actually doing what so many of our folks fail. I yeah. always give a hard time that they most of our members fail at retirement. I feel like Gail's doing it right right here. Like <laughs> she, she's yeah, like so many of you see them. Yeah, we retired, but they get back in the mix. Yeah, I, I like the fact that she's she's in Cabo. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Yvonne, um, you were talking a lot about funding. So um, so let me just get some clarification from you. Um, and then um, we'll we'll bring Megan back in. Um I want to read you this quote from Assemblymember Patrick O'Donnell. He said, quote, although we have an urgent student engagement challenge, I want to assure you California is not facing a funding challenge. In fact, we have a funding opportunity. Now, we have heard uh, from the Legislative Analyst's Office about a projected budget surplus uh, that could be available to education. Um, but there's the debate about how that money would be spent. So I guess it would be good to get 
some clarification, maybe if you've got some, based on those comments, do you foresee the state trying to direct new funding, that new funding to additional programs, or is there a chance that we may see an investment in more uh, discretionary funding for schools? Yeah, no, I think time will tell. I think it, it's hard to know at this point. Uh, legislators have been on record uh, uh, of having interest in doing both. Um, I think there's what we've seen in the past and what we've, we've come to expect is that there is often this, this immediate, I think, reaction or, or interest in, in having very specific pots tied to specific initiatives that legislators can then connect themselves to. It, it, it provides very much good talking points. And when they go home to their districts, that something very specific was, was funded. Um, so I think there are, certainly will be interest on that front to, to continue to, to have strings attached to dollars. Um, but with that said, I, I, I found it very encouraging yesterday that there was a lot of conversation about investing in the local control funding formula and, and increasing the base. And there was a need, there's a need to do that, increase per pupil funding. Um, and that this has equity built into it in terms of when you up the base, it also ups the supplemental concentration grant am amounts that go out as well. Um, it has accountability built in, um, and there's certainly need, and we've heard that again from the field so often, that there's a need for discretionary dollars being that needs statewide differ. Um, so a lot of it actually, I think, depends on our collective advocacy and, and making sure that um, we're hitting on these messages and, and, and communicating them effectively to, to, to the policymakers in terms of how these dollars end up going out. Uh, Megan, Amy uh, asked one of the questions on our chat that I was actually going to pose uh, to you. So good timing on this. We hear a lot. Well, let me ask the question this way. To what extent have the, the prospect of enrollment-based funding instead of the ADA model has brought up? Did that come up yesterday? Kind of is that getting traction? What do you see as the prospects of that policy proposal and kind of some of the pros and cons while you're at it? Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely um, it's definitely an issue that many districts are bringing up and legislators are taking a look at. Um, you know, there's different experts that are crunching numbers and we're looking at how it, uh, you know, access looking at how it would impact different districts um, revenues. I think, you know, some of the pros and cons to remember, and and these these points were brought up in in the hearing yesterday, is um, you know a, a move to enrollment based funding doesn't bring new resources into the system. It actually moves money from one district to the other, and it does create winners and losers. So, um, you know, as we're talking about funding challenges, I, I like to try to separate the two conversations um, because the enrollment based model actually isn't gonna it isn't going to do anything to help with our declining enrollment um, and our long-term fiscal stability conversation. Um, I think um, there's definitely some benefits to moving to a system based on enrollment. Um, I think the, the larger concern, and we heard this from members yesterday, was um, when you move to an enrollment-based system, what is the... Um, What's the accountability measure to make sure that districts are doing everything they can to get students in the classroom? And I think, you know, Assemblyman McCarty um, brought up the example that when his children don't go to school, he gets a text message and a phone call and an email. Um, you know, and I think members have concerns along those lines. Um, Yvonne, let me um, let me 
get this question here. This is from uh, Maria uh, Marie Alvarado Gill. She asks, what opportunities are there for inclusion of public classroom-based charter school who are also experiencing funding losses due to declining enrollment? Any discussion about that right now, Yvonne, that you're aware of? Well, there's certainly an interest in, in kids being served in person. And so um, that very much aligns with the legislature's priority and the governor's priority of that being the case. So there's there's plenty of opportunity for, for conversations and um, the attendance issues affecting uh, um, classroom-based charter schools, without a doubt. Megan, quick question to you. I know we got... Um, Spencer, one of our viewers asked about what, you know, something we've got a lot of is what do we do when somebody exceeds the 14 day limit on the quarantine? I think the opportunity to kind of touch on potential changes and I, we don't want to overpromise, but we know there's at least going to be some discussions about what do we do with the current uh, parameters of independent study? Uh, what, what, what are you hearing on that end? Yeah. So, um, that, uh, that 15 day limit, um, those provisions are actually set to expire at the end of this school year. So it is a, at this point in time, unless the legislature renews them, it is a one year um, provision that you have to follow. Um, I think as the law is currently written, when you hit that 15 day, um, you know, say their a kid is in multiple quarantines, you then have to put them into, you know, uh, either um, like, your long-term independent study program where there are synchronous opportunities for the student or you know I, I think some folks are doing the having the teacher zoom in the room which is not ideal either but the law requires once a kid hits that 15th day they need synchronous they need an opportunity for synchronous instruction or you can't collect the ADA. Um, Megan, I'll have you respond to this one first and then Yvonne after that. Um, as we've pointed out, um, we might have a bit of a disconnect, um, if you will, with the perception versus the reality when it comes to the state and inside the state capitol. We're hearing more of them question uh, why school officials are so concerned about their budgets, given all the headlines about the schools getting all of the money and maybe a budget surplus that will help schools out more. What can we do to combat this narrative? Um, and again, Megan, I'll have, have you start. Um, what can AXA members do to advocate and maybe influence uh, so this, this story changes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the best thing you can do is try to connect with your local representatives and give them, you know, the examples from your district. Explain to them, you know, what your declining enrollment numbers are, the ADA challenges, and how that translates to your budget. Um, and I do think, you know, lawmakers are right. We do have a historic opportunity. We do have historic revenues. I think the key point to make to them is it matters what they choose to do with it. If they put those funds in your base, it allows, um, it's going to allow you to meet a lot of the needs, right? Um, if they create new programs and and earmark those um, those dollars for different things that don't allow you to uh, support the staff that you have and the the educators that you have. Um, that's going to create real fiscal challenges. So I think the best thing you can do is try to connect and um, share those local stories um, with the, with the members. And Yvonne, your thoughts. Yeah, no, I think I think I'll just start by saying that grassroots grass. I'm sorry, grassroots advocacy works and, and communicating with policymakers has influence. I, I've worked for several policymakers and 
they very much care about what their constituents feel on certain matters, even though sometimes it, it just doesn't seem that way. Um, but to the extent that a messaging can be coordinated um, and the messaging hit on the, the, the same um, a line of thinking for, for statewide, then, then that's certainly going to resonate amongst the, the, the bodies of the legislature. Um, but messaging is important. And so uh, what we know just based on our advocacy and conversations across the street, that what doesn't sit well is when the legislature hears that there's a fiscal cliff and the sky is falling. And this, these, are, these are quotes that they are saying that they've heard from, from, from their locals. Um, and there is a, a negative reaction to that when they, when again, when they point to the amount of funding that's gone out recently and the amount of funding that's available. Um, but what we do know does resonate well, um, and this is just again just changing the messaging is somewhat is focusing on the kids, focusing on our, our child and adult learners, and, and what's needed to best serve them. Um, and so we know that uh, sustainable, long-term, discretionary funding is needed to, to, to hire the staffing requisite or needed to implement the programs that, that we know serve child and adult learners well. Uh, we know more funding, ongoing funding is needed um, to expand learning time, to, to um, address longstanding inequities, um, provide mental health and wraparound services. And so to the to the extent that you, when you're talking to your policymakers, connect it back to these things and uh, make sure that they see that connection, that's going to definitely help with with um, their understanding and their belief in, in what's being put forth on, on, on the need for ongoing funding. Hey, um, before we go, Yvonne, I know that you are trying to uh, class up your reaction to our video um, at the top. Let me just let me just make a, a quick point here. As we've been talking, I went on the Capital Advisors website and uh, your photo is not there, right? And word is from Kevin and Jack over there, you only get it on when you are past your probation period. So don't screw it up because we don't really want you back here. Naj, I was worried uh, how you were going to come at me after the Niners uh, beat your Bears earlier yeah. this season. I thought you'd still be holding on to that. <laughs> uh, Megan Bear, AXA legislative advocate. Yvonne Carrillo still hasn't passed his uh, probation over at Capital Advisors. To both of you guys, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, Edgar, I want to um, just address this question really quickly. This came in from uh, Andrew Kirsten. He asks, um, would raising the LCFF base help districts uh, like mine that have only 40% unduplicated students and the result is the lowest funding level in our county. Um, while many schools struggle to find ways to spend all of the extra funding, we are trying to avoid cuts to staff and services to students. Um, any thoughts on that? The short answer is yes. So that, that, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's going to be a big part of our advocacy, a big part of us telling the story that having the legislature remember that yes they did a lot of new stuff last year in tk a lot of programs that have merit but in order to that we have to invest in the foundation and the way that you raise all boats is really uh what andrew talked about is really making some some key targeted investments in the base grant because frankly it benefits everybody regardless of your unduplicated count uh, even those that have higher supplemental concentration rates, it's a percentage of the base grant. So that we really feel is a good way 
to target new funding into the system. So that'll be a big part of our messaging. Uh, let me um, let me point out, <clears throat> pardon me, two things. Uh, I saw a comment from Ben Churchill. Yes, Ben, thank goodness that the Bears got um, a win on Thanksgiving. Also want to point this out. Um, Deanna uh, mentioned college football rivalry week. And let me just, Edgar, just for your appreciation and for all of our viewers' appreciation, I literally did nothing on Saturday but watch college football, like literally the whole day. Right. So I started off right here with my San Diego State Aztecs at nine. I followed that up with the Penn State game at 1230, watched another at three, another at five, another at six. Wow. And at 730, I turned on that woeful BYU USC game, which I watched until midnight when my wife asked me the next morning, how late did you stay up? I said, I went right past midnight and somehow USC couldn't pull that one off. <laughs> you you didn't mess around. You went for it. You're like all in. That's all I'm going to do. Hey, hey, I, I'm not going to judge you. It sounds like a pretty good day. I don't know what your family thought about that, but I, 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 I appreciate that they gave you the space to do nothing but watch college football all day. Yeah. Tr trust me. They weren't at the house for most of that. <laughs> they weren't going to dedicate that much time uh, to it. Uh, Angela, yes, I did watch some of that very sad Stanford-Notre Dame game. I watched the first like five minutes of it, and it was uh, ugly after that. Um, Edgar, just, just summarize if you can. Um, maybe next steps uh, from that legislative hearing. Obviously, it's not the first time the topic has come up, but it is one of the first times that we brought this collective together to talk about chronic absenteeism, what the impact of COVID and distance learning has been. But just kind of next steps for our members from what you saw out of that meeting. My biggest takeaway, aside from, you know, and Yvonne and, and Megan did a good job of really dissecting this particulars. A big picture one for me is always that they, the fact that they're talking about it is a good sign. Yeah. And that's a reflection that our members have been, we've been hearing it here, right, for the last X amount of months. And now the fact that the, the legislature in their interim period, they're not in session right now, came back to have this informational discussion is a good sign. The first step is them having acknowledged that there's a potential issue. Now it's going to be about what are the policy solutions that they're looking at that are going to work for the field. So I, I think it was a positive. There's a lot of work for us to do. Uh, I think we talked about this challenging narrative that we're all going to have to confront. I think there's this perception that, oh, no, no, schools are all fine. Any, all of our members, anybody that's you know, been on a school site knows that this is a very challenging year. And it, and it goes way beyond the dollars. Uh, and I think really having the policymakers appreciate that, especially as they're making policy for this next year, I, I think is going to be critically important. Our executive producer, Michael Kelly, just did the math and found out that I watched 15 hours of college football on Saturday. Of note, I only watched like 90 minutes of football, uh, of NFL football on Sunday. So I think I got it all out of my system um, on, on Saturday. Hey, folks, don't forget, um, send in your holiday photos, group at axa.org, so we can uh, go ahead and show those on our last show of the year coming up December 15th. Edgar, so good to see you today. Always fun. It was good to be back. Uh, we'll be we'll be back at it next week. That's right. Back next week, folks. Thank you so much for watching us here on the AXA Legislative Lunch Break. Remember, we are live and interactive 1 p.m. on Wednesdays here on AXA Facebook and AXA YouTube. Have a great rest of the day and rest of the week, and we'll see you next time.